1: looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: So even though we may cover two, two and a half verses today, we'll pick up a little bit of of speed as we get further into Ephesians and to really get to know a little bit more about that. If I was to give maybe a title for this book, I'm sensing that we could find in this book some great teaching on relationships. Now, I know that seems to be so just, I thought it's all about the church. Well, it is if I want to talk about ecclesiology for some of you. But ecclesiology is nothing more than the church, and church is nothing more than just people getting together. And people have relationships. And so that's why I'm trying to make it very applicable, but yet remain exegetical and expositional. So it is about people. So I thought I might generally call this God's Mind on Building Healthy Relationships. And if you went through the book of Ephesians, you're going to find that it begins by talking about a healthy relationship with God, getting to know who He is, a healthy relationship and praying for others that they would know God. And then it talks about healthy relationships as it begins to show ethnic groups coming together. And then it talks about healthy relationship and what a church should generally be like, connecting to one another. And then it gets more specific in talking about healthy relationships as a person, as a partner in marriage, as a parent, as a child to a parent. How do you have a healthy relationship with an employer and an employee in providing for your family? How do you have that healthy relationship? when there's so much coming against those human relationships. And how do we posture all of that? And then toward the end of the book, it talks about that Paul is saying, give me boldness so I can talk about the mysteries of Christ, which are, again, relationships with Him to us, us to Him and one another. So it talks about evangelism. We are going to go on the most exciting, adventurous journey through just a very small book of the Bible. And so I encourage you to be here. Now, staying with that same theme, let me share it with you this way. Um, there are some people that look at the Bible as being a very significant book, and it's a very powerful book. It's, it's it, Lots of people really lean into that book, so it's kind of like top of the pile of all the books that I read. And I understand it might be that, but I want you to know that it's really incomparable to all books that are ever being, been written. It will have stories in there, it'll have history in there, it'll have drama in there and all of that. <laughs> But more than that about the Bible, it is a book for us to really get to know God, God to help us know about ourselves and how we are to relate to Him and other people. Very wonderful book. That being said, let's just talk about being faithful at staying in this particular book. You and I, both of us, will be times on a Sunday we can't be here. I get that. I'll be gone some Sundays, obviously, and so will you. But here's the deal. The event, I guess the the advantage that I have is when I come back to teach, I'm going to take it right from where we left off and I'm going to continue going. Now, if you don't stay connected, let's just kind of talk about what that might look like. If you were to watch a a television show and it's week after week, like a, a soap opera, so to speak, if you miss a particular episode or two or maybe three, pretty soon you get further behind in knowing what's going on. Can you catch up? Yes, can you make some um, suppositions? I guess they're talking about this because something else might happen. I don't think this is really what happened. Well, if you do that with the Bible and you kind of take a week off from the study or you remove yourself from understanding a set of verses, you'll get great stuff from the Word of God because it's supernatural. But you will not get the accurate flow because this Word is not, is not just an episode here and an episode there and you kind of tie it together with our speculation. It's really a complete flow of biblical truth And we want to keep it going together. Now, keeping with that same thought of like watching episodes, turn it in now to a book. If you had a doctor and uh, he had his medical book in front of him and he had to learn how to do a particular surgery, maybe for us an uh, appendectomy, you would want to know that he got that chapter. He didn't skip that chapter, that he was there to get that chapter, especially if it's on how to perform an appendectomy. At least I would do that. I would want him to make sure, were you there? How did you do on the test? You know, that kind of thing. I'd want to be a part of that. Well, that's why, again, if you have to miss, I urge you to go to our website and download the message. It's not about Stan Pond, okay? It's not about, I want to make sure everybody hears me. If you believe that, then I might pray you get hiccups the rest of your life. No, I won't do that. But what I am suggesting, though, is get that message so they properly connect together so they all build upon it. Now, that principle that I'm giving to you right now, that you should take with you for the rest of your biblical life when you're taking a class, when you're studying something that you don't miss it. And if you do, it's okay. Just make sure you catch up again as soon as possible so you can get it in the proper sequence of what's happening. Keep that in mind. Staying with the same idea. Now let's say you're going to go for a book. And it's a book to help you learn to do something that you really need to learn. You really want to, I'm not talking about some mystery novel. okay? I'm talking about something you really want to learn. Well, when you do that, you want to find out about this book. Okay, I'm, I, this, the title sounds good, and I'm reading a little bit of the summary, and that sounds pretty good. Now you want to know about the author of the book. And so is it some guy that's just pontificating on what he believes? He's just kind of sharing with his own ideas. Or what is his credentials? What's the background of who this guy is? How do I know that I can trust that what he is saying is going to be accurate from this book and that this book then could really help me? And you also might listen to what a few others might say about that book that's helping you. Now, why am I telling you that? Today, we're launching the beginning of the book of Ephesians. And I don't know what your expectation level is. I might have raised it too high with some of the promotion that went out, and I hope that I didn't. But I want you to know that we're going to take, again, that slow step. So you have to understand, what's the book? What's this book about generally? Who wrote this book? What's so special about him writing to us about this, and why should I listen to this book? So that now when you open it, there's an intrinsic motivation. There's not an extrinsic guilt trip that you're placed placed upon you, is that you really want to learn this book and want to be a part of it, and I hope that that would be the case. So I've already given you a little bit of the summary of the book, but I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But I kind of want to get into this by explaining to you maybe three words that you can take with you on the first three verses. And I'm going to go very slow on some very familiar verses for those that don't know, so that you'll know a little bit more about who's writing, who's it written to, what is he pronouncing? You know, what's the blessing and the praise and all of this? So what are they? So let's begin with our book study, shall we? So number one, we want to talk about the people of the book of Ephesians. What are the people of the book of Ephesians? All right, there's a primarily three groups here, and you'll see who they are in a moment. But when I use the word book, because we're opening up the book of Ephesians, whether you have it in the notes in front of you, or you have it in a Bible that's a hard Bible in front of you, or whether you have an electronic version, Those of you that are new, when you hear me say the word book, we generally use that because when you look at the Bible, you see one book here, but it's really like a library of 66 books in it. And one of those 66 books in it is the book of Ephesians. So we refer to it as the book, and you'll hear me say that from time to time, but if I wanted to be a little bit more technical, the word that is used in the theological realm would be the word, it's the epistle. And it's an epistle of a particular writer named Paul. Now, when you hear the word epistle, that's kind of a funny word. When was the last time you said, my job, I sent you an epistle? You know, the word epistle really means a letter. And I'd like you to think more in terms of a letter. So whether I say epistle or whether I say book, I want you to know it's really nothing more than a letter. Now, it's a letter from a guy by the name of Paul. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I wanted you to know that this is a letter, and it was written to a group of people who lived about 2,000 years ago. And in your own mind, you might, by extension, say, hmm, this is if this letter was written to us. It would be like a newsletter you get from a missionary. It could be a letter that we would read here from the podium or the pulpit, that we would be reading from someone else to you. So I didn't write this epistle. I didn't write this letter but what I did do is take someone else who wrote it and together we're going to read it and see what's in it about God, about us, and what we could take home with us every single time we meet. So who are the people? Let's look at the first one. The first one you're going to put there is, is Paul because he begins by writing. I'm going to take a little bite of it and then chop it up for you. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So let's talk about Paul. All right. Paul is an is a interesting fella. Uh, Paul really has a wonderful legacy. He really came from the best of the Jewish legacy he could. And his name was really Saul, and that's what his name was given to him by his parents. So this is Saul. So Saul starts out with this great legacy coming from a Jewish family, but not just a Jewish family, but a special Jewish family. And not only that, He was then educated in the ways of Jewish belief systems, academically, religiously, and all the rest. So this guy went to the the Ivy League teachers of his life to really own the Jewish belief system because he was Jewish. Not only that, upon him fell this passion, this responsibility to now stand up for God because the Jews did that. And often good ones today do the same. They stand up for God. But now what was happening, because before Saul, there was Jesus. And Jesus now comes into the world, and there's a lot of Jesus followers then, particularly other disciples and apostles. And then Jesus dies, he's resurrected, and he showed himself. We talked about that on on, on Resurrection Sunday. Then he goes on up to heaven. So now Saul is so hot for God that he believes that anybody who's a Jewish follower ought to be eliminated, whether put in prison or executed, because those Jesus followers were following a person who sounded like he was not really pro all the things that the Jewish people believed, law and other things, and he had a really skewed, convoluted view of what Christianity was about. And so what happened then is that he just was on his his life mission was to find as many what we would call now Christians, Christ ones, Christ followers, followers of the way, and then throw them into jail or to kill them. And so on one of his journeys, he's traveling uh, to Damascus, and there was a supernatural revelation of God Christ to him, and at that time he had his, and I say this very lightly but very respectfully, he had his real come-to-Jesus moment, and that's what he did, and Certain things happen then, which I'll talk about in just a moment. So from then on, there was this uh, understanding now that Jesus Christ is God and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but is God, is all the deity. And then he was taken away for a while. And so then Saul had his name changed to the name Paul. So when I say Paul, Paul is that guy I just described to you. And while he was away, alone in the desert, is when I believe he got much of his... um theological training to really understand who Christ is. Now, he wasn't by himself. There's a bunch of others, not so much in the desert, but really gained an understanding of who God was, and God called him out. So when you think about that, let's look at the word apostle there, because you're going to hear the apostle Paul. What is an apostle? All right, that's an interesting word, too, because it really means someone who is sent with the proper credentials to represent another. Now, personally, I think that phrase is a little bit... um, uh, stretched from just the word apostle. But I think when you put it up against how it was used in the language, then you'll see that it had a much broader meaning. But technically, it's just sent one. Okay, a big deal, sent one. All right, but when you throw it through the languages, now it's a sent one. He had to be properly credentialed. He represented someone else to share something with other people. That was an apostle. But now you just see the word. He's an apostle. But now what makes him so I would say he's an apostle, he's not. That's an apostle, that's not. Well, there are certain what we might call the credentials of an apostle, and you can go through Scripture, and some give three, some give six, some give seven. I don't know that it's the length of the credentials, but I'm going to give you the significant ones so you will know that Paul, the apostle, the sent one, was actually identified by God in a special way so we can easily recognize him. First of all, that person had to see Christ. We know that Paul saw Christ on that road to Damascus. Secondly, he had to be commissioned or sent by God. And so he was commissioned. You are now my apostle and you are now going to go and do something. We'll talk about that in a moment. Number three, he had to do miraculous signs. Something that only God could do through him that was very visible so that when people saw it, they would know that he's not just your regular guy on the street and that he wasn't just Quote, shooting his mouth off, that he had supernatural message for people, so he was the anointed one, he would do special miracles. And that's just three. There are others, but let's just keep it simple and hopefully short this morning. So those are three that identify what an apostle was. Paul fit all of that together. Go back to the verse again. It says, Paul, the apostle, sent one representing Christ with special credentials. And it says an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. All right? Let's talk about... Paul, and let's talk about Peter for just a moment. Now, there are other spokesmen for God, but I want to talk about what we call a target audience. You know what a target audience is? A lot of marketers do that. That's our target audience. You know, that's who we're going to reach. All right, that's who we want to sell to. Well, God had a target audience too. God's target audience was made up of Jewish people and Gentiles. And I say that a little tongue-in-cheek because God's target audience was the world because basically they were all kind of put into two camps. You were either Jewish or you're a Gentile. And so God wanted those Jews and Gentiles to know about him and specifically know about Christ and even more specifically worship Christ and even more specifically do that because they're a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ. So he selected, God did, two of his apostles especially and kind of pointed them to their target audiences. Peter was targeted to the Jewish people. Paul's target audience was to the Gentile people. Now let me be very clear. That was their primary focus, those two groups of people. That doesn't mean that whatever Peter did, he said, oh, you're Gentile, I can't talk to you. No, it wasn't like that. But he predominantly saw his target audience, Jewish people. It wasn't that Paul would never speak to to Jewish people because he was called to the Gentiles. Yeah, he did. He went to the synagogues first, usually when he arrived in the city. But again, his target audience was that. Now, how does that make sense to you and me? All right, let's just, right here in this church, we have people in this church that are targeting young people. We have people in this church that are targeting children. We have people in this church are targeting people who cannot speak English or speak English very well, and their target is, I want to help those people come to faith alone in Christ and to go on to become fully obedient worshipers of Him. That's their target audience. None of those people I just mentioned, and I know I'm leaving a bunch of others out, but just those three doesn't mean they won't reach out to other people. They just is that's our target group. That's who we're working for. So now Paul, his targeted group, were Gentiles. How many of you in here are not Jewish, let's say it that way. Would you raise your hand? How many are not Jewish? You would be the targeted audience and Paul would be your apostle. Now, those of you who are are Jewish, that I want you to know, Paul wouldn't leave you out either. He knew you were here. He loved you. And in some measure, he would want you to know the gospel of the Messiah of Jesus Christ and how delightful that is. Now, notice the phrase, Paul an apostle by the will of God. I've been saying that, but not in the direct words. The will of God means, uh, Paul didn't wake up and say, I think it's more fun for me to reach Gentiles. Or I, I can make more money if I reach Gentiles. It's like a lot of kids today when they want to go off to, to college. Why are you going to that college? Oh, I got a scholarship. Uh, why do you want to go to that college? Because my friends are Why, why, why because near home. Why do I want to go to that college? Because my dad went there and my mom went there. None of that is necessarily bad, but my bigger question is, is, how do you know that God wants you there? It's by the will of God. Which for all of us, whatever we're doing, Do we know, have we settled down to sense as much as we can with a serious contemplative time to know that what we do is by the will of God? He was an apostle, therefore he did apostle things, but that was like a career to him. His career wasn't 95. It was twenty four seven, three sixty five. 365. So that was by the will of God. That's so cool because here's what I'm thinking. God knew me 2,000 years before I was born, and then God commissioned Paul to be an apostle by the will of God, and through his life, he had world-class influence that's touching my life now. Stay with me. Now I am to have world-class influence to other people. Paul, an apostle by the will of God. How exciting that is. Well, let's look at the second group because we move away Paul the Apostle here by the will of God. And then he says, to the saints who are at Ephesus. Now that is an interesting phrase, to the saints who are at Ephesus. So you might want to just put in there the Ephesian faith family. If you'd rather, the Ephesian church, if you prefer that term, it's up to you. But the idea, it's the Ephesian believers in Christ. Now if you will, look up here because I'm going to try to do some things with my hands. I thought about bringing an object lesson, but I, I didn't and I should have. But uh, do it in your mind. When I send... um a letter to you, generally on the letter it will have your name and I'll write it to you. If you didn't know who it was, it's not very hard because you kind of flip in there and it says, you know, from Stan or whatever, you'd know that it's from me. It's a normal thing. But if you took the book of Ephesians, this letter to the Ephesian people, and you hand wrote that out, how long do you think it would be? That'd be a fun thing to do as a family. Try to write it all out if you have to copy it from your Bible and do that as a family. There's a lot in there. Read behind what I'm saying there. But after you're all done, do it all on one long sheet of paper. Now, if Paul didn't put it at the end, you wouldn't know who this was from unless you, whoever it was, unrolled it to the very end of that scroll. Can you imagine how long that scroll would be? You'd roll it out and you'd have to walk way over here and say, oh yeah, that's the Apostle Paul. So what they do here is they'd say right at the beginning, this is who's writing it, this is to whom it is written. So we've already talked about who wrote it. Now we're going to find out to whom do you write this. So it says, to the saints we in Ephesus. Now, that's a crazy word, isn't it? Saints, you know, in your mind, what is a saint? Think about it for a moment. To you, if I flew in from Mars, and I heard you use the word saint, and I said, whoa, what's a saint? How would you answer that question? What's a saint? So what I did is I decided to go to the American Heritage Dictionary to get my definition of a saint. And here's what it said. A person officially recognized by a religious group as being entitled to public veneration, almost worship, as being capable of interceding for people on earth. In other words, you go to the saint to get to God. One who has been canonized, that means specially identified as that kind of a person, almost like next with God. Another answer, according to the dictionary, says it's a holy person. Another one says it's a charitable, unselfish impatient person now when you read through all of that you get a lot of different answers one it goes all the way over here to someone who is like a god to someone who is very very special to someone who's just a good guy all right that's what it would say now here's where you have to go for your definition if you want to have a biblical understanding especially when you have friends out there that'll say that's saint this and saint that and i have a good saint this over here and i got to go through that saint how accurate is it now by the way by the way just like going through a dictionary, we don't want to get our answer. We also don't want to get our answer through some kind of religious writing. We want to go right back to the source of accuracy, and it has to be the Bible. So the real question is, Is what's a saint according to the Bible? Well, actually, you're going to find it a couple of times in Scripture, and the word reduced to the most accurate mean is a very simple one. And it means someone who is especially set apart for a purpose in glorifying God. Now, when you take that word and you run it through the grid of other places in Scripture, not through some man-made writing, through Scripture, you're going to find that that is referring to those people who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. When they came to a point and they said, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, I'm placing my faith alone in Christ, the moment we have trusted Christ as Savior, we became a saint. Listen carefully. We're not a saint because we do saintly things. We're a saint because we are in Christ because of what He's done for us. Do you agree with that? All right, so would you look to the person next to you and say, I'm a saint. Now look at the next person and say, you're a saint. It's never louder when we do that, I know. Now again, it's not because you acted saintly. It's because you became a saint the moment you trusted Christ as Savior. The moment you set you trusted Christ, you became a Christ one, which means you're now separated. Watch this now. You're separated unto Him, which obviously implies you're separated from the world value system. You're separated unto Christ's value system. What's that? Scripture. And that happens the moment you trust Christ as Savior. Now, the rest of your life, you try to live that out and act like a saint, not to become a saint, but because you are a saint. So let's go back over it again. Paul is now writing this letter to the Ephesian people because he loves them, and he wants them to know the truth. And he says, these are those who live in Ephesus. I think that's beautiful. So you can look at yourself and call yourself a saint. I probably won't you know, look at myself and say, hey, Stan, you're a real saint and all that. I'm just going to say simply this, that I'm a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ. I say that a lot because I am, and I'm so thankful that God has set me apart for a purpose. And my major purpose is to glorify the Lord, whatever career God has called you to do. So I live a saintly life because I am a saint by faith alone in Christ. We'll go back to the verse. It says, to the saints, and it says, okay, those are believers, I love that, who are at Ephesus. Now, how many of you ever been to Ephesus? I know some of you have. How many have been to Ephesus? Okay, how many have been to Ephesus? Raise your hand real high. Okay, great, 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 great. Did you go to the Walmart there? Probably not, okay, because there is no Walmart in Ephesus. But Ephesus did occur. So there is a city, Ephesus. Now, it's got a name change a little bit now, but basically the Ephesus of the Bible is a very unique city. If you uh, read more carefully about it, you're going to find that Ephesus was a port city. If you looked at a map, it's not on the port any longer. It's not like a harbor right there because it's all been filled in with silt. And so it's kind of moved away from the port. Some cities, uh, if a city got burned, they would rebuild the city further down the road, so it would, be, it would move. So c- cities moving in the Bible aren't necessarily all bad. You have to then not say, this is a contradiction. What you got to do is find out why and how did it move. Well, that's not even the big part. Let's go back to it being a port city, Ephesus. It was a unique city. In one of the commentaries of doing this study, I, I got this. I really liked it. The commentator was E.K. Simpson, and he said, Ephesus went from a trade city to a temple and tourist city. Don't you like those words? A trade temple tourist. Now, obviously, it would be a trade city. Why would it be a trade city? Any city that's right along a port or has a harbor, that means stuff's coming in. When it comes to land, they're going to take it, put it on all these donkeys and camels and carts and everything, and then kind of trade that everywhere they went. All right, that's pretty normal that it did all of that then. The sad part from one of the commentaries I read is that The question is, what did they trade? I did a deep dive on that, and there's a lot of little stuff. But what kept coming up is that they traded in slaves. Now, when I hear that, for us, we go, oh, no. For them, that was just, that's just doing business.